Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. This week, I'm declaring it a week to dream. Maybe it's that it's my birthday Thursday, and I feel like there should be some celebratory way to mark it, or that I'm still reeling from the doozy of a week we had last week when my husband lost his job within hours of us pulling the plug on our family's plans to move to Mexico. In any case, this week, I'm pushing aside my knee-jerk skepticism and giving myself permission to dream big, crazy dreams of what life could look like in the coming weeks and months. Nothing would delight me more than to have you join me in that dreaming. Yesterday in episode 35, I promised to devote the week to helping us dream, and I kicked it off with this challenge. Every day this week, let's write down one crazy big dream for the life we're longing for. Maybe even a life that we've never given ourselves permission to talk about because it seemed too impractical or idealistic. Then let's find a way to genuinely express gratitude to someone. Finally, send me a message and tell me about it. You can find me with the handle Laura Joyce Davis on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or you can email me through my website, laurajoycedavis.com. I'll be gathering stories all week, and later this week, I'll share some of them with you in a special episode. The big crazy dream I'm entertaining this week is being able to pay my bills with my writing, and this podcast specifically. This dream is a complicated one for me. I'm deeply aware that even having the opportunity to create day after day is a privilege. And maybe I should just pause here and say thank you to my husband, Nate, who because he's now jobless, is doing the lion's share of childcare right now at our house. He's a great dad and a terrific partner, and it wouldn't be possible to do this podcast without him. So many of my ideas for these episodes have come from our conversations late at night. So many people in this world aren't able to create art right now because they're just trying to survive. This isn't hypothetical for me. I got a message last week from a friend in the Philippines asking me to send money so she and her family could eat. Looking back at my own family's history, my grandparents and their grandparents didn't have the option of dreaming this kind of dream. They worked the jobs they could get, sometimes jobs they hated, because that was the option presented to them. Many years ago, I read Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, and it was a life-changing book for me. Her basic thesis is that we are all creators, no matter what we end up doing for work, and I agree with her. I wish we lived in a world where all of our basic needs were met, where our ability to create wasn't mutually exclusive with our ability to survive. When you look at our COVID-19 world right now, it really breaks down into two categories, essential and non-essential. Maybe that's the root of my discomfort over the idea of surviving off my art, especially in a time when so many people are struggling. It begs the question of what art is worth to us, especially in a time of crisis. The thing that finally helped me to sit with this question was a quote from Brock Keeling's story, Can San Francisco Be Fixed? Brock wasn't writing about COVID-19. He penned the story back in January. He consulted a bunch of housing experts to get perspective on San Francisco's housing crisis. One of them was J.K. Deneen, the housing reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. 
J.K. says, Right now, it has to be conceded that living in San Francisco is not a viable option for the majority of workers any city needs to function. Nurses, teachers, cops, firefighters, cooks, librarians, medical researchers, carpenters, architects, plumbers, clerks, bus drivers, social workers, mechanics. Not to mention all of the people a city needs to be a place worth living. The dancers, painters, songwriters, singers, designers, actors, poets. I'm certain that J.K. did not have a pandemic in mind when he said these words, but I'm so grateful for them now. Our city and every city across the globe needs its essential workers now more than ever. We couldn't survive without them. But that doesn't mean that those of us who are non-essential aren't contributing. The essential workers are helping us survive, but the non-essential workers are making our daily lives a little more bearable. They're bringing laughter and beauty and delight to our lives that feel increasingly stressful, fearful, and mundane. So thank you, Brock and JK, for putting words to what us non-essentials needed to hear. I think I needed them this week to allow myself to dream. Our world is better with art. The question is how to create a world where that art can continue. I know just how hard this particular dream is to pull off, even under the best of circumstances. Lots of people want to make money off their art, but very few people in this world can quit their day job. And that was before COVID-19. But now, with my family's source of income gone, the day job isn't an option anymore. I know that it's likely I won't succeed. But if I do, it could mean that I'm not only providing for my family right now, but that I've finally figured out how to make my writing sustainable. Over the years, I've watched other writers and artists figure out how to turn their hobby into a business. And many of them have turned to a startup called Patreon. Patreon was founded in 2013 by musician Jack Conti. The original idea was that artists could ask their fans to become patrons of their work by paying a monthly subscription. But unlike bigger streaming services, Patreon lets the artists keep most of the money. The more fans who sign up, the closer the artist gets to the dream of sustainable monthly cash flow that allows them to pay bills and create their art. In its first year... Patreon distributed over a million dollars to its artists. It's grown exponentially since then. Of course, the idea of artistic patronage isn't new. We have patrons to thank for the works of Michelangelo and da Vinci and most of Western literature written before the 1700s. We have modern-day patrons, too. The National Endowment for the Arts, the Guggenheim, the MacArthur Foundation, and so many others who have supported some of our finest artists across the disciplines. Even the U.S. Department of State gets in on the action through the Fulbright Scholarship, some of which are awarded to artists. Ten years ago, I was lucky enough to be one of them. Our world is better because of these opportunities afforded to artists, and we need more of them. But they're also incredibly competitive. Even for well-established artists, they're often a long shot. Patreon wanted to give even new artists a chance to make a living off their work. I've thought about starting a Patreon account myself for years, but as long as we were able to survive off of Nate's job, there was no urgency to it. This past week, I revisited the idea. And in the process, I met Callie Wright, who has been hugely successful on Patreon. I asked Callie to share some tips on how to get the most out of the Patreon experience. 
Callie started to see a spike in Patreon signups a few months ago. Callie had gotten laid off and started being transparent about using that money to pay bills and buy groceries. Since then, Callie has replaced that previous income with Patreon subscriptions and some freelance work. Callie says, The people who have success are the people who have gotten over their fear of accepting money in return for the work they do and being unapologetic about the ask. Callie said it also helps to figure out whether or not your fans are benefit-oriented or support-oriented. Callie is the host of the podcast Queer Splaining, and Callie has a devoted audience of listeners, many of whom are from the LGBTQ community. They're support-oriented. What they value most is not merchandise, but the content Callie is creating. With Patreon and any other subscription-based platform, you need people to be engaged with what you're creating. In podcasting, that means you need listeners. If you have engaged listeners who value your content, then at least in theory, you could end up with hundreds or even thousands of patrons who, through their small monthly subscription fee, can help you put food on the table. Callie has advice for this, too. Callie says, My number one thing for audience growth is guesting on other podcasts. Having big names on your podcast helps, but in my experience, it has not helped quite as much as guesting on other podcasts, and specifically guesting on podcasts that have big followings on Patreon, where you can tap into a community that is already supporting the kind of work you're doing. Callie has done a lot with these guest experiences on other shows and says that you have to be unafraid to ask people, even big name people you don't know, to have you as a guest on their show. Do your homework, figure out how your work ties in with theirs, and then ask. Find people who are doing similar things, and then figure out ways that you can help them too. Even though it puts me outside my comfort zone to ask people to support my art, I can come around to this idea because I do believe that art will die if our world doesn't find a way to support artists. I'm still trying to figure out if Patreon is right for me. It's worked well for Callie, but there are a few things I don't love about it, like how there's no option for one-time donations. There are also a bunch of alternatives to Patreon that have popped up in the last couple of years. There's Supercast, Glow, Himalaya, and a bunch of others. I'm setting myself the goal of deciding on one of these for myself this week, and I'll share it with you when I do. Kelly's comment about looking for ways not just to promote yourself, but to be helpful to others, brought me back to something I've been thinking about a lot this week. It brought me back to gratitude. Since starting Shelter in Place, I've made some new friends in the podcasting world. In my experience, it's an industry of generosity where people are eager to help each other. Even now, as so many of us have lost our source of income, the people I've met seem to move from a spirit of abundance, not scarcity. That generosity is contagious. It's made me want to help others, too. And on that note, I'm including a whole bunch of wonderful resources in my show notes for today that others have shared with me when I was starting out. A lot of them are podcast-specific, but many of them apply to anyone who's trying to reimagine their work during this time. I hope they help you as much as they did me. As I dream about a world where artists can pay their bills and be paid to create the art that makes our cities worth living in, I'm also dreaming about a world defined not by greed, but generosity. That's the big crazy dream I'm writing down for myself today, that anyone who hears this 
might think about how they can be more generous in the work they do. If you're someone whose income hasn't been affected during these times, I hope you'll think about supporting a musician or artist or writer that you love. It's people like you who are going to make it possible for artists to keep creating. And to all of the other non-essentials out there, especially those of you who lost your income because of COVID-19, I hope you're encouraged by what I've shared in this episode as we figure out how to continue our non-essential work. I want to close today by thanking some of the kind people who have helped me find my way in this particular craft of podcasting. People like Callie Wright of Queer Splining, who spent a Sunday afternoon talking with me. People like Willow Belden from Out There, who interviewed me and featured one of my episodes on her show last week. People like Katie Semro, who ran a shelter-in-place trailer on the Transmission Times yesterday. People like Nina LaCour of Keeping a Notebook and Sarah Enney of First Draft, who spent time with me more than a year ago to teach me about microphones and software and podcast hosting. People like Veronica Ruff at ACAST, who took a chance on Shelter-in-Place and agreed to host me the night before the first episode launched. All of these people are doing such good work, and I'll link to that work in my show notes. I hope you'll check it out. I'm really looking forward to hearing your stories from this week. Let's keep giving ourselves permission to dream and be grateful.